I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33, and we'll be there in just a moment. Exodus chapter 33. As we begin this morning, I want to remind you of four words that we recited together a few weeks ago as Pastor Andy was sharing with us about planting Renewal Church, relocating to the Hilltop property, and considering all the mission trips and ministry points of this summer, he had us recite four words, and those words were this, we can't do this. We can't do this. And as I've been thinking about that statement and praying for this church and considering all that's going on at FBC Belton, God has shown me in a painfully clear way the limitations of what you and I bring to the table apart from the Holy Spirit of God. I don't believe that there's any way possible that FBC can do what God has laid on our hearts to do apart from God. And really it comes down to this bottom line. We, as the people of God today, have created means and methods for doing church that in the end require little, if any help at all, from the Holy Spirit of God. And it is possible, it is dangerously possible for us to carry on church as smooth as possible and months and years down the road, we never realize that the Holy Spirit and His presence and His power have been absent all along. We don't have to pray and fast for the church to grow. We can market for the church to grow. We don't have to pray and fast for people to come to faith. We have programs that can take care of that. And honestly, maybe the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel in our day may just be the attempt of the church of God to try to accomplish the work of God apart from the power and presence of God. The greatest hindrance to the gospel in our day may be our attempt to do the work of God without God. This brings us to our text, Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. Lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people. We'll fill in the blanks here in just a minute. Skip over to verse 15. And he said to him, Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. 
The question that I have for us today is, will we rely on ourselves or be dependent on God? Where is our dependence and therein lies our hope? Some context leading up to Exodus chapter 33. You're familiar, more than likely. But you've got the people of God who were slaves in Egypt and God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt through these plagues and he brings them out. He then brings them to the edge of the Red Sea and he splits the sea in half and they go through. After they pass through the sea, the walls of water on each side, they look behind them and those same walls of water crash down on the Egyptians. He then, God then brings them on a journey where he provides food that literally falls from heaven, water from a rock. He guides them during the day with a pillar of cloud and at night a pillar of fire. He brings them to Mount Sinai and there he shows his glory to them in the picture of a consuming fire and billows of smoke coming up from the mountain. And they don't even want to go near the mountain. And it's there that God meets with Moses, the people's representative, and gives them his law. There he talks with Moses about how he's going to dwell in the middle of his people. He gives them instructions leading up to this about how he's going to live in their midst and how they can, can construct this tabernacle to be a place of, for his glory to dwell in the middle of his people. And while all of this is happening, then you get to chapter 32. The people of God are down the mountain and they have taken their gold and their possessions and brought them together and created a golden calf and they're bowing down and worshiping a golden calf. They're singing and dancing and indulging in revelry as they worship this idol that they've created by their own hands. And so what's happening is while the glory of God is meeting their representative Moses on top of the mountain, the people are at the bottom of the mountain singing the praises of other gods. Moses knows that this is going on, goes down from the mountain, sees it, and becomes very angry. You can see near the end of chapter 32 that 3,000 men are struck down dead. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 33 where God tells Moses... Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land that I promised you. Now, don't miss this. God is saying to Moses, I promised you the land of Canaan. I promised to deliver the people in front of you so that you could take the land. I'm telling you, go and take it. It's yours, all of it. But I'm not going with you. Church, the Israelites at this point are coming face to face with the possibility of life without God, but with all the blessings that God had promised. Now, let me ask you a question. How would you respond to that? How how do you think we would respond if we were told by God, I've given this to you, but I'm not going with you? I know most of us in this room, because we're, we're spiritual people, we love God and we love Jesus, we would probably say, absurd, I would get angry at that, that would, I would hurt, that would upset me. But really, when we get down to it, would it really? Think about it, for, think about it with me for a second. Isn't this what most people want? Don't most people want the gifts and all the blessings and all the good things God offers, 
but they don't want to have the work of a relationship with God. And I'm not just talking about people outside the church. I'm also talking about us, people inside the church. This idea that prevails in Christian churches today that says you can pray a prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart and then go live your life however you want apart from him. You can make this decision and you get heaven regardless of what happens in your life from that point on. You don't even have to have God. You get heaven. You get forgiveness of sins. Come to Christ. You get forgiveness. Come to Christ. You, you, you get heaven. Come to Christ. You get life better than you ever could have imagined. Come to Christ. You get satisfaction. You get purpose. While all of that may be true, the true gospel is come to Christ. You get God. That's what matters. Church, you don't get heaven if you don't want God. And sadly, there are many in the church today that are desperate for God to fix their circumstances and desperate for God to make their lives right and desperate for God to do this and that in their lives. But when it comes down to it, they're more desperate for those things than they are desperate for God. And God says to his people here, go up to the land, but I'm not going with you. And at this point, the people of Israel had a choice, and the choice is this. Either we take the blessings of God apart from the presence of God, or we stay here until the presence of God goes with us. And this is the same choice that we face today. Where will our dependence lie? Will we be dependent on self or will we be reliant and dependent on the Spirit? Church, we can't do this. And as we look through Exodus 33, I want to draw out some conclusions of why we must be dependent on His Spirit. Number one, if you'll look at verse 12 with me. First, we must be dependent on the Spirit of God because our mission is impossible. Our mission is impossible. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said... I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Now, if you think about the conversation Moses is having with God right here, What he's saying is, God, you're telling me to lead this people, to take this land, but there's a discrepancy between what you're telling me to do and the resources that you have provided to do it. There's no way I can lead these people unless I have your presence. There's no way I can lead them into the promised land unless I know your mind and the way you think. Teach me your ways, God. So that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Very clearly what Moses is saying here is that God, I can't accomplish this without you. Only you can do this. 
Jonathan Edwards, in the middle of the Great Awakening, said it this way. Only God is able to do the work of God. Now, when you hear that, you think, well, of course, that's easy. But think about it with me. We're a people who are so confident in ourselves. We can do this Christian thing on our own. We can do this church thing on our own. We can figure this out. We can program this Christianity into our lives, in our families, and in our church. We can make this happen. Let's put one foot in front of the other, and we can do this. But church, we need God to do the work of God. Quite frankly, this church can have all the gifts, all the talents, all the skills, the best leaders, and can have all the money in the world. But if this church does not operate on the power and presence of the Spirit of God, this church will accomplish nothing for the glory of God. In the contrary, if this church has the least amount of gifts and the least talented people and the most incompetent leaders in Belton, and no money, but with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God, this church can accomplish great things for His glory. And do you believe that? Do we truly believe that? Church, we have small goals if we're living with what we bring to the table. They're small. And Moses says to God here, I need you to make this happen because only God is able to do the work of God. And if you don't go with us, we can't do it. And if only God can do the work of God, then our only posture is prayer. We have an impossible mission. And so church, we need to pray. We must be corporately a people of prayer. I want to draw your attention to a bulletin handout, if you'll grab it for me. You receive this in your bulletin called Summer Nights of Prayer. Every Sunday night this summer, you can see on the back the schedule, every night this summer, we're going to gather together corporately as God's people, as the church of First Baptist Belton, to come together and to pray. We're going to pray for Planting Renewal Church. We're going to pray for our relocation efforts to the Hilltop property. We're going to pray for the mission trips that are happening this summer and this fall and all the ministry points that are taking place this summer. In church, we need to come together and cry out to God to do what only God can do. And so put this in a prominent place where you'll be reminded of the different activities and different things this summer for you to gather together to pray. Tonight, we're going to actually gather at the Hilltop property. And I know what just went through your mind. Matt, it is 148 degrees outside. (laughs) I get it. I get it. But we're going to gather together and we're going to pray. So wear your shorts, bring your water or Gatorade, and let's come together and we're going to pray together. Church, we have an impossible mission, but we have a great God, and this God, and with, and with this God, nothing is impossible. And so we need to gather together, and we need to come together this summer and cry out to Him together. Let's bring our needy hearts before our great God and ask Him to do what only He can do. We must pray. Our lack of prayer will reveal how dependent we are on self. 
our lack of prayer will reveal how dependent we are on self. And so church, let's not prize intellect, competency, or affluence. Let's not do life without God trusting in ourselves and in our talents, making us structurally independent of God. Our only hope is dependence on the presence and power of God. We can't do this. Our mission is impossible. Second, look at verse 14 and 15 with me. We must be dependent on the Spirit because we're a family that must be unified. We're a family. Verse 14, the Lord replies to Moses. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses says in verse 15... If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Now, it seems like Moses has kind of checked out for a second. I don't know if that's ever happened to you in a conversation where someone's talking to you, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, uh, what? That's what seems like happening here. But what's, what's taking place is God just said, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. And Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Actually, Moses understands what's going on. I want you to notice in verse 14, the word you is used twice. The word you there is singular, meaning one person, you, Moses. Then in verse 15, the word us is used twice. And that is plural, meaning more than one. So don't miss this. God told Moses, all right, Moses, I'll go with you and I'll give you rest. Then Moses says, if you don't go with us, Plural. Moses realized that he was called to lead the people of God and that he was not an individual. He was a part of a community of faith. He was a part of a people. It wasn't just him that needed the presence of God. They needed the presence of God. They needed God to go with them. Why did they need God to go with them? Verse 16 tells us. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? You see, Moses knew the whole deal here was about delivering his people, God showing his greatness in delivering his people. That's what the whole exodus was about. God bringing his people out. He didn't just bring Moses out. He brought them out. He did it in a way to show his glory. And then he promised the land to them, not just Moses. And Moses says, we're going forward, but we, we've got to have your presence. And how will all of these other people, how will all of these other nations that are following polytheistic religions and worshiping false gods and idols, how will they know your greatness if it's just me? God, remember, you're making a people for yourself. So show your greatness in the way you go with us with all of us, with your people. God, we're going into the land and we don't have wealth, we don't have gifts, we don't have all the stuff that the other nations have, but God, we do have you. And without you, we have absolutely nothing. So God, we need you to go with us. Now here's the picture, and we miss it because as we talk about the work of the Spirit of God, we can begin to think individualistic. All that God has for us, we can begin to think, how does that affect me? Right? But, but let me plead with us to think about 
family for a second. Us, corporately, First Baptist Belton. God is leading us to do something corporately. He's leading us as a church. He's leading us as a church to plant Renewal Church. Us. All of us. Some will go, but all of us need to give. All of us need to pray. All of us need to know what's going on. All of us. He's calling all of us as First Baptist Belton to be on mission for His glory this summer and then this fall. Some of us are going. All of us need to pray and we need to send. All of us. He's called us to relocate to the new property. And it's going to require all of us to be dependent on His wisdom and what He can provide. It will take us all. And so this isn't about the young and the old, more traditional or contemporary, those that have a lot and those that have a little, those that have been here a long time and those that have not. Our mission that God has given us is about all of us and it requires all of us. Every one of us equally sacrificing for the glory of God. Church, we belong to each other in Christ. We're a diverse group of people in this room. But the one unifier of us is the gospel. And we need to be a family that comes together to accomplish this mission. That cries out to God and says, God, you use us for your glory. And so we need to throw off bitterness and quarreling and complaining and gossip and pride and jealousy. And we need to clothe ourselves with humility, gratitude, patience, gentleness, love, and self-control. So that the Spirit can make this a community of faith. Not just a few of us, but all of us. This body, a great picture of the glory of God in Belton and around the world. So let's outdo one another in showing honor. And let's truly love one another. And let me plead with you, if you're sitting on the sidelines, if you're a part of First Baptist Belton, but you still haven't really emerged in, submerged in, rather, let me plead with you, we need you. Neither I nor you have the luxury in our physical body for our parts of our body to say, well, I'm just not going to participate today. I'm going to sit this one out. No, we don't have that luxury in our physical body. And in the same way, in the body of Christ, it's total participation. All of us working together to accomplish the mission that God has given us. All of us. And when you're not participating in the family, the body is robbed. And so quit robbing the body. Participate. Our mission is impossible. And we need each other. And this is why we must depend on the power and presence of God. Finally, we must be dependent on the Spirit because our God is glorious. This is the most startling point. Look at verse 17 with me. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Now you'd think at this point that Moses would say, 
okay, I, I'm, I'm going to exit the tent here. I've got exactly what I've asked for. God has answered my prayer. I'm done. But no, look at what he asked for in verse 18. So God just said, I'm going to do it. The very thing that you've spoken, I'll do. Moses said, please show me your glory. We don't realize how astounding this is until we realize who's asking God to do this. This is Moses. Think about it with me. This is the guy who in the first part of the book came into contact with a burning bush that wasn't being consumed and he had a conversation there with God. This is the guy who had a firsthand role in seeing all of these plagues happen and God reveal his glory time after time again. It's the same guy who helped rescue the people out of slavery. This is the guy who led the people of God and took the first steps through the middle of the Red Sea as the water surrounded him. It's the guy who saw food coming down from heaven and water coming up from a rock. It's the guy who followed the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is the guy who got to meet with God on the mountain. This is the guy who got to go into the tent and have conversation with God. This is the guy who had all the privileges. But yet Moses asked, Lord, please show me your glory. Why did he ask that? The answer is this. Once you taste the glory of God, your appetite for more exponentially increases. The more of God that you get a taste, the more of a taste that you have of God, you want more. Another way to put it is I like to say, once you taste filet mignon, you no longer ask for spam. You don't. You ask for more because you've gotten a taste and Moses has gotten a taste from the moment of the burning bush all the way to now. And he says, God, please show me your glory. I want more. Show me more. Friends, this is also the testimony of men and women throughout Scripture. They were never content to accept Christ and move on with their lives as if the pursuit had stopped. The pursuit had just begun. This is Paul saying in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship and of, of his sufferings. I want more of Christ. I want more of Christ. And so friends, have you grown content? Have you grown content with your knowledge of God? Have you grown content with going through this life and these levels of Christianity incrementally here and there, getting a little more knowledge, or do you have this insatiable thirst day after day after day after day that you would come before God and say, God, please show me your glory. I want to see more of you. I want to know more of you. Is your heart like that of the psalmist that says, as the deer pants for water, my soul longs for you. I've tasted and I've seen that you're good and I want more. Now, if you look at the text with me in verse 20, the wild thing is, is that Moses had no clue what he was asking. Because in verse 20, God looks at Moses and he says, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. What an awkward moment for Moses to realize that he had just asked God to do the very thing that would kill him. This is an incredible truth here. That I don't want us to miss. Moses needed to be protected from God by God. God's glory is so great that if he were in his presence, he would be struck down immediately. And so he needed God 
to protect him. God, or Moses, you, you can't see my glory because it's too great for you. Now, fast forward to the pages of John 1, and we see the picture of how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a picture of Jesus being the very presence of God among us. And in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. Here's the incredible picture of the New Testament. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And apart from Christ, you and I would cower in our sin in the presence of God. And if you don't think we would, then you've missed the whole message, the whole point of what the Bible says. We would stand before Him in our sin in front of a holy, beautiful, and majestic God. And without Christ, we would be struck down immediately in His presence. But thanks be to God that we have a Savior. The only way to stand in front of him in that way is with the very righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ attributed to you and I. Beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ, we come before God and we can say, God, I want to know you more. I want more of you. I want more of you. This is why church, our our church mission statement begins with knowing Jesus intimately. If you want to know God, know Jesus You want to see God, see Jesus. Look to Christ. Know Him intimately and you will know God. So my question is, is this the pulse of your life? Is this the pulse of First Baptist Belton? Do we have an insatiable desire for more and a thirst and a longing and a yearning and a weeping for more of His glory? Do we truly want to know Him? Do we want more of His glory? Church, we have a God that we cannot even begin to fathom. But we also have a privilege because of Christ to come before him and say, show me more. I want more of you. I want more of you. He's made us a family together, given us a purpose, an assignment that we can never accomplish on our own. And all of this should drive us to our face to say, God, we need you. We want more of you. We want to know more of your glory. We want more of the power of your spirit in our church. We want to realize more and more of the privilege you've given us. And we want more and more of the power that you have to accomplish this mission that you've entrusted to us. We want more of you. And we need more of you. God, show us your glory. Church, we can't do this. We need God to do what only God can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in these next few moments that you would By your spirit, help us as a church to realize that apart from you, we can do nothing. We are in desperate need of you. Lord, our own salvation 
we need you. Our sanctification, we need you. The very breath in our lungs that we just breathed, we need you. Oh God, we are desperate for your power and your presence in this place and in this church and in this community and in this world. And so God, I pray that our dependence, our reliance would be on you and you alone. And God, when we're a church, when we're a people that relies on you, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And our hope is firm and secure. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, I pray that by your spirit you would draw them to yourself, call them to yourself. They would surrender their lives to you, that they would trust in you, that they would know that you've given your life so that they could find life and that they could have a relationship with God. Oh God, we need you in this place. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation. I'll be down here in the front. You can come to the altar and pray. You can pray with one another as we sing. Let's sing together.